Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you guys this morning. You know, um, it's kind of interesting how, how this whole thing came about, about reading Proverbs on on Sunday mornings. I had it on my heart a while back when I start, first started sharing the vision with you and kind of sharing with you how it's on my heart that we go through the book of Proverbs together as a church. And my heart is that you guys would would jump on board and, and then we can go through Proverbs maybe like if you started in January 12 times reading Proverbs every every month, hearing the wisdom of God. And so I had it on my heart. I said, man, we should do this like on a Sunday morning, you know, like read Proverbs because we've never done that. And and I had it, you know, as I'm kind of thinking about it, praying about it, just kind of, you know, it's up, it's up here. And I thought, well, should we do it like just start up in chapter one and then every every week just, you know, go on? Or should we just pick the number of what, like the day of the 16th, just do the 16th and just kind of. And so I thought this, but I hadn't told anyone about it. And so the other day, Mark calls me and he says, hey, I have something on my heart. I said, yeah, what is it? He says, we should read Proverbs on Sunday morning. And so my face starts smiling as he's beginning. I haven't I haven't said anything. And I'm going, really, man? You have that on your heart? And he says, yeah, maybe we could do it this way. You know, and he went through the trouble of going through the whole calendar and saying, you know, some of them we might like overlap, like next month is the same numbers as today, but we need to hear them. And he says, but by the time we get to the end of the year or in October, we will have read through all of Proverbs. And I said, right on. And then I tell him, dude, that has been on my heart but I hadn't told anybody. And so when something like that happens, I just got like, right on, God. It's amazing how you work in that kind of way. You know, because sometimes I think like, man, I have all these thoughts, you know, are they just me or, you know, but God speaks to other people as well. And it's kind of confirmed. And so I tell Jim about it the other day. It's like, hey, guess what we're going to be doing? And he says, wow, that's amazing. Because I had something on my heart, like in that direction of kind of may, maybe sharing like a proverb minute on Sunday mornings. And it's like, what? And so I'm getting excited, right? And so it's like, so Mark says, so, you know, it's out there. I said, good, you're up on Sunday morning then. Um, <laughs> and so um, I'm going to be asking some of you guys, whoever would uh, would like to come up and share. It's not like I'm going to say, hey, Terry, come on up, read it now. Uh, I'll give you guys enough time where you guys can come and see me and say, hey, man, where can you fit me in? Because I want to share. By the way, I don't know if you guys have been reading the Word to the Wise in your bulletins there. You know, and it's been awesome just hearing from some of you guys, um, sending them in, and we've been putting them in there. I hope you guys are reading them. Um, I've just been blessed to be reading through them. Um, Thomas O'Neill is the one that kind of did the Word to the Wisest this week, and I give him higher props last uh, last uh, service. I thought he was a junior. He's only a sophomore in high school, right? And so he is like throwing down some Word to the Wise to us. And so you read through that, and again, it's just kind of show you men up that that you guys should be sending these things in here. Some of you guys are like, oh, I didn't want to like throw it all out there right away. It's like, okay, start sending them in, sending them in, so we can put them put them down. So again, just a challenge for you guys um, to continue going through the book of Proverbs. Amen. Well, this morning we are in First Peter chapter four. Um, I remember a while back um, when we were getting into chapter 2, which was back in December sometime, uh, when we were getting into chapter 2, I, I remember sharing with you how all of this book basically has become like my favorite and how each chapter, each chapter was kind of like my favorite, you know? 
um, because it was unique in every aspect. And we spent, I don't know how many weeks, in chapter 3, which is one of my favorites, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I, t- I enjoyed teaching it, but it was pretty, pretty amazing, I think. Um, but anyways, um, chapter 4 has so much depth in it. So much so that as I was thinking about it, I'm thinking, man, I just hope I can do it some justice of the depth that is in it. Because it, it just kind of, it, it's a heart. It's the heart of Peter as he is sharing this encouragement in regard to suffering as we've been kind of covering this book. You know, it, it, it's, 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 it's like the heart of it right here. And the attitude that we need to have, this is what he's sharing, the attitude that we need to have to endure while we are suffering. I think in real estate, the the motto is location, location, location. But I think when it comes to our Christian walk, as in regard to suffering, our motto should be attitude, attitude, attitude. Having the right attitude or mindset of why we suffer. To understand what it means to suffer like Christ suffered or because He suffered. It, it, it will help us through a life of suffering. It will give us some understanding that suffering is a part of life. And understand this, suffering not only happens to Christians, it happens to non-Christians. It is a part of life. Everybody in this world suffers one way or another. And so when it comes or when someone becomes a Christian, it is a whole new ball game when it comes to suffering. The suffering that we have to go through as Christians takes on a whole new dimension. It's not just physical suffering. And many people go through physical suffering. It's not just emotional suffering, but there's also a spiritual aspect to our suffering. We need to understand that there is a a spiritual part of suffering that, that, again, we need to go through. And our attitude of how we go through the sufferings as Christians, our attitude will determine the outcome. Of where, we, or of where we end up and how we handle our sufferings in our lives. It should be much different than those who don't know Jesus. That we go through sufferings, but it turns out different. It should turn out different. <clears throat> Since Christ suffered, it is only logical that, that we should suffer as well. Doesn't the Bible tell us? I know it does. <laughs> That the servant is not greater than his master. That if they hated Jesus, they will hate you. That if they came against him, they will also come against you. Peter has been trying to get that across to us, trying to tell us that we have been called to this kind of suffering in our lives. As we read a few months ago in chapter, whenever it was, chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, where it says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we, that you should follow in his steps. 
We have been called to suffer. It is part of our life as Christians to suffer. But our attitude in our suffering should be different than that, those who are not believers. And I think that oftentimes, as a Christian community, we often want to escape that part of our Christian walk. It's like you want all the other things in Christian life, but when it comes to suffering, it's like, gosh, can we just kind of put that aside? Why do we have to suffer? You know, we, 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 we almost don't want it. <laughs> but it's not that we should like go out and look for it either, or that we should truly desire it. No, but we should not be surprised when it comes upon us. Whether it's a physical suffering that's going on in your life, and I know everybody does, believer or non-believer. When, it, when it's an emotional suffering, and many people go through that, you know, Christian or not. But even in the spiritual sense of suffering, we should not be surprised when the enemy himself comes against us to try to discourage us from walking with Jesus. And many times we suffer in that way, whereas unbelievers, he, just, he already has them, so why, why bug them in the spiritual sense? It's not to say that they can't, but I'm just saying, it happens in our Christian life. And I think that because we live in America, because we know that we have religious rights, and we were founded as a Christian nation, I think oftentimes we have an attitude that we shouldn't have to suffer like other nations suffer. Because we're in America. <laughs> you know? We're Americans. And we shouldn't have to suffer like others do. Because other nations suffer at the hands of their government even. But guess what? <laughs> We have had a nice run of it in this country. But like I shared with you last week, that as Peter was writing to these people um, that he is writing to who had been spread ab- abroad, that persecution was reaching them now. They were starting to feel the persecution. And they were to continue to do what is right to do what is good and do what is decent because that's what they had been called to do. And I, I could tell you that, and I'm sure you know, unless you never ever ever listen to the news or watch the news or see the bias in the news, many in this country have moved away from our Christian values. I don't know if you guys know that. You're probably going, really? Because if you're one of those who's going, really? It's like, man, you have not watched the news lately. Of what's going on in our country. They, they, they have moved away from the Christian values that made this nation a great nation. And they have started an all out assault on Christianity. They want God so far removed from everything. And if they could, they'd get rid of you as well. <laughs> if they could. And, and again, you know, it, 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 it's almost like they are a, a small minority, but they are making great strides in this country to try and, and remove God as far away as possible from anything that has to do in our lives. If they could, they would like kick him off the borders. You know, they, they'd get rid of him. And even though they're a small minority that are at it, they have 
the backing of this world system and they have the backing of the ruler of this world with them. (laughs) And as I believe that we are in the last days, guys, it's not going to get any better or any easier on us. It's going to get worse. But there is still hope for people. We might lose the nation, but we don't have to lose people. We can go one-on-one with people. We can go after them one-on-one. Each heart is separate. And guys, understand this, that all these other countries who have gone through, through horrible persecution, the church got stronger because of persecution. And guys, I want to encourage you, don't be disheartened. Don't be faint-hearted at this. <laughs> I, I, I believe that in these last days, Christianity is not for the faint-hearted. It's not for the sissies. Not for the little chavalas in Spanish. Jesus said this in John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What a promise. You know, on, on Thursday nights, we've been going through the book of Romans, and, and I was sharing in chapter 5 how, man, oh man, when you start off chapter 5, it talks about how we've been justified, and we have now have peace with God, we have access to God, we have the hope in God, we have the grace, we have all these things. And then he says, and not only that, and you're thinking, does it get any better than all that? Yes, it does. He says, and not only that, but we glory in tribulation. And guys, everything else above that, I mean, they are benefits that we get to have, but it's only through tribulations that we honestly can grow in Christ. Because of the tribulations, there's perseverance. Because of tribulations and perseverance, there's character, proven character, because you've gone through it. And because there's tribulation and because of there's, there's perseverance and character, there is hope. And it is through those times that churches... The church as a whole gets stronger because nothing will move Jesus. Not one country, not one king, not one law, anything moves Jesus. And so do not lose heart. <laughs> Be of good cheer. He has overcome the world. And in that we can rejoice. And what a promise that he has given us there. Because it is a promise that we will have tribulation. But it is also a promise that he has o- overcome the world. And I think oftentimes we focus on the, on the promises that make us feel good. And I don't blame you. I mean, I like those promises too. They're put in there for a reason. He's given us those promises. But do not freak out when tribulation comes our way. Do not freak out when sufferings come into our lives because we have been called to all of this and we're to stand strong. As I've said before, and I will say it again, and I will keep on saying it as long as I have breath. <laughs> That a faith that is not tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And so we will be tested continually. If you are in Christ, you will be tested continually. So whether you suffer physically, emotionally, or spiritually, (laughs) whether it comes from your flesh, this world, or Satan himself, do not lose heart. Do not grow weary in doing good knowing that we have been called to this since Christ also has suffered. Verse 1 of chapter 4, 1 Peter. We'll be covering six verses this morning. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, 
arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drunken parties or drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but, according, but live according to God in the spirit. As we go to verse 1 here, where he says, Therefore, since God, or since Christ, suffered for us. Peter is continuing to, to try and, or, or he wants to get across to the readers of that day and to us today what he spoke of in the previous chapter in verse 8 or 18 where it says, For Christ also suffered once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Being put being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He is continuing in that same topic about the suffering that Christ has gone through. And so he says, therefore, so because of Christ going through all of this in the flesh for us, he says, we are to arm ourselves with the same attitude, the same mindset, that Jesus had in regard to suffering, that we would understand why he suffered. And because we understand what he suffered or how, why he suffered, we would have that same mindset, that there was a purpose behind his suffering so that we can follow in his steps, it says. He knew what this suffering would produce. Jesus understood what this what this would, would produce in the lives of those people who would come to him. It would produce access to God. It, it, it would also produce a relationship with God that sin had severed. He knew that by suffering, we would now have a relationship with him. And he also knew that we would have a closeness to God because of his suffering. All those things that we would be able to have, that access, that relationship, that closeness, that if it wasn't for his suffering, it would not be possible for us to have today. We, he had to suffer. Apart from suffering, there is none of those things. There is no closeness, there is no relationship, and there is no access to God if he hadn't suffered on our behalf. And so he knew what it would produce. It is often through suffering, our suffering, <laughs> that we can better understand the closeness that we can have with God. It, 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 is, it is through suffering that we realize we can run to Him. And I know sometimes people feel like, well, I never go to Him when things are going good, so why should I run to Him when I'm suffering? And it's like, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. He understands that. Well, I've ignored him. It's like, well, we all have. 
But it doesn't mean that we can't turn to God when we're hurting, when we're suffering, when we're being persecuted, when there's trials in our lives. Those are the times that cause us to, to turn to Him. And oftentimes, it's in those times because we've tried everything else and we've come up empty that we go, I'm still like suffering, I'm still hurting. It's like, well, turn to God. Jeez. You know? So what if you've tried everything else? You should have known that you were going to come up empty. <laughs> so it's okay. Turn to God. Repent for not acknowledging Him first, but come to Him. You know, condemnation will keep you away from God. And that's what happens oftentimes. We feel so condemned. It's like, well, I just can't go to Him. The conviction of the Holy Spirit will draw you to Him. <laughs> and so when you're convicted because you've tried everything else, run to Jesus. And again, oftentimes it's because of, of, of suffering, because we've been left empty going everywhere else that we turn to God and we compress into Him. Just like a baby or just like a kid who, who's been hurt and he runs to mom and dad and, and mom and dad pick him up and then he just grabs on and he presses into you because he's hurt. That's what we should be doing. When we are totally hurting, when we're suffering, when we've gone through so much that we can go and feel and, and touch Him and, and, and like be so close to, that, to, to, um, to Him. But we often realize that since Christ suffered, He also knows what we feel. He knows what we're going through because He suffered. What, what if Jesus had never suffered? then I don't think we would be able to relate to Him. I don't think we would be able to, to, to readily go to Him and say, Lord, I'm suffering through this, and Him going, sorry, never, never, never went through that. Can't relate to you, bro. I don't know, go somewhere else. <laughs> I haven't gone through that. No, the Bible tells us that he, he has suffered. He was tempted in every way and still without sin. He understands our pain. He knows what we go through because He has suffered. Because he has suffered, or since he has suffered, then we can go to him about anything. Anything that you're suffering with. If it's physical, emotional, spiritual, he understands it all. And because he understands it all, and because now we can relate to him, because he does, then we are to arm ourselves with the same mind as Christ. Understanding that suffering is a part of life. But understanding that when we suffer, we can go to Him. And if we can understand what it produces, then again, man, it just strengthens us, even in our suffering. That, that term, arm yourself, sounds like a military term, and it is a military term. It refers to a, a, a soldier putting on his armor, getting ready for battle, arming himself. Because if a soldier does not have the right mindset and equipment to do all this stuff, the right attitude for battle, he is in danger of getting hurt and or hurting others if he doesn't have the right mindset to go out and do the battle. If he doesn't have that right mindset, he is in danger of getting killed <laughs> or killing others. Ephesians chapter 6 teaches us and shows us about the, the armor of God. And Paul, as he shares that aspect of the battle, he, he is sharing a spiritual aspect 
that we should have of putting on the armor of God, having that mindset to go do battle in the spiritual sense. But Peter here, he's kind of giving us more of a physical aspect or the physical aspect of, of the battle because both are real. Spiritual battles and, and, and physical battles. Now, I'm not the type of guy that, that looks for the demon around the corner in everything. I don't have a dream and it's like, oh, it means this. It's like, no, they're just stupid dreams sometimes. But I also know that there's always an underlining spiritual thing. And somebody was sharing with me after service. It's like when people come against us, it's not, it's not often the person. It's the, it, it's the spiritual aspect behind that that is coming at you. And so oftentimes when I'm counseling with people and they're sharing with me their pain or their suffering, what they've been going through, oftentimes it's like, well, let's look at it in the spiritual aspect. What is happening in the spirit that, that, that's affecting you? Or how can you find glory in God because of what you're, what, what you're going through physically or emotionally? Is there a spiritual aspect to it? You see, both are real. And Christians need to understand both types of battle. The physical battle and, and, and the spiritual battle. Because if we neglect one or the other, we will be weakened. We will be defeated in the one that we neglect. And so if Jesus armed himself, <laughs> what makes us think that we don't have to have the same mind? That we don't have to arm ourselves? What makes us think that we shouldn't have the attitude that Jesus has about these kinds of issues? You see, he understood both the physical and the spiritual battles. He understood that they exist. And he saw the spiritual just as plain as he saw the physical, and yet he armed himself to the T. When he was in the wilderness and he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and physically he was tired. Physically, he was undernourished. And when Satan came to him, he fought him in the spiritual realm. Even though in the physical realm, he is so weak. But he didn't neglect the two. He understood them. He saw them for what they were. If Jesus understood this, and he doesn't take these battles lightly, then we shouldn't either. Jesus suffered in the flesh because of sin, but not his sin, our sins. And Jesus ceased from sin the moment he died. The sins that he took upon him, which were mine and yours, the moment he died, he did not have to battle sin. He had victory. He defeated sin when he died on the cross. But it wasn't his sin, like I said, it was our sin. And we, or he defeated us in so that we might cease from sin as well. So that we don't have to continue on in sin. Because we are to nail our sins to the cross. Turn over to, to Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read... 13 verses here. Getting a picture of what even Paul shares about what attitude we should have about sin and what it causes. 
verse six or chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who are dead, who died to sin, live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death or into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin or slaves of sin. For he who has died has been free, freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died... He died for sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you may obey, that you may obey it in its lusts. And do not present your, your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. He's sharing with us that because Christ died and we identify with him as being dead, then we don't have to succumb to sin any longer. We could walk away from sin. And so he's telling us that, that here we have the opportunity to nail our flesh, our sins, to the cross and walk away from them. Now, I don't know if you know this, but did you know that a dead person cannot sin anymore? Did you guys know that? They can't. They can't sin anymore. You can try and tempt them with anything. Anything you've got, try to tempt them. Whatever they struggled with themselves in their lives that caused them to sin all the time, bring it into their presence, and guess what? They're not even going to budge. Why? Because they're dead. They're dead to sin. They suffer no more with whatever they dealt with in their life before. Understand that? And yet we're being called to be dead as Christians. We are to die as Christians crucified so that we don't have to be like tempted by sin anymore. Isn't that crazy? We, we can be like that and you're going, oh man, it's impossible. It's like, yeah, I know. Because even though I have... This, this sin nature that I am to crucify on the cross every day, it says, I'm still alive. 
and I still have an appetite, and I still want to do stuff. And it's like, but you're dead. It's like, yeah, but I'm alive too. It's like, no, you're dead. And it's like that battle, man. This is where the battle comes in. See, the dead person doesn't have no battle no more. He is is like room temperature, dead. Nothing can, 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 can do, you, you can't, you, you can't do anything to him anymore. Again, you could put, it would be a worthless effort to put sin or put temptation in front of him. And yet, we're being told that we, if we identify with Christ, with his sufferings, we are to put, be put to death in our flesh. Our flesh should be murdered in that sense. Man, oh man, the battle that we have day in and day out because we sometimes like to feed our flesh. <laughs> it's supposed to be dead, but it has so many like appetites and desires and we know that we shouldn't feed it and guess what we do? It's like, well, just a little bit. A little bit won't hurt. It's like, oh, it will, it will hurt because it will cause us to sin. The same sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. You see, we should want to hate sin the way He hates sin because He knew that sin, He would have to suffer for sin. Not His, ours. And all those little appetites that we have for sin, it's like those are the ones that Jesus died for. Those. And guys, don't get me wrong. I I understand the battle, man. There's a battle going on day in and day out. But He says in verse 2, uh, oh, let me turn it over there. In verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. He says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. When, when, when someone becomes born again, we are put to death or we are to put to death the flesh. If you didn't know that when you became born again, I'm sorry to break it to you now because you're going, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. Well, that's what happened. When you said, I want Jesus, you said, crucify my flesh. I don't want to continue to sin. I, I, I want to hate sin like Jesus hates it. But we can be alive in the Spirit. See, He's given us that, that the Holy Spirit to live in us. Whenever we walk in the Spirit, whenever we are walking in the Spirit, we are denying our own flesh every time. Whenever we're doing the spiritual things, we're denying our flesh and its will. When we are walking in the Spirit, we are always doing the will of God in the Spirit. There is no way that the flesh or the things of the flesh can ever do the will of God, ever. When you're in the flesh and you think you're doing God's will, you're not. You're not. It's only when you're walking in the, in the Spirit that you do the will of God. James, or John 1, 12 and 13 says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, man, but of God. Being born again is the will of God. And so if we're born again, we can do the will of God. Our flesh, again, it has these appetites. 
It has these desires that are contrary to everything that has to do with God's will. Everything. The flesh and the spirit, they don't get along. They are always at odds with one another. It it, it tells us that they are contrary to one another. They butt heads, as as it says in Galatians 5.17. This is the heart of of this chapter here. As, As he's talking about the, the will of the Father, and, or the will of God, and the will of man, or the lusts of man. Here's the crux. This is what, what Peter has been trying to drive home. It boils down to this. We are to do the will of the Father, the will of God. Or the battle is between the will of God and the will of the flesh. The battle is between the will of God and the lust of men. Between the will of God and the will of the Gentiles here, he says. Because he says, man, we have spent way too much time, way too much time doing the will of the, the Gentiles. We've been doing and spending too much time doing what non-believers and, uns- and the unsaved like to do. We have spent too much time pleasing ourselves instead of pleasing God, right? That's what he's saying right here. That we spend way too much time doing that. In, in, in all honesty, I don't know of anyone ever in my Christian life, I don't know of anyone who has, who has been in the Spirit 24-7. I don't know anyone. I know people that think that they are 24-7. And it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> because they act like they're so spiritual. And it's like, hey, do you ever heard of spiritual pride? Because that's like sin. And, and they think it's like, oh, they're so holy. It's like, no, you're not, man. <laughs> See, I have never met the man or the woman who is in the Spirit 24-7. There isn't any who are sinless. But this I know, we can sin less. We can sin less. <laughs> For us, it, 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 that's a work, man. It's like, sin less? Hmm. Because we like to sin. Yeah, it's fun. If we didn't, if it if it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. But we can't be sinless, and I understand that. But our heart is to sin less in our lives. Our hearts should be to do the will of God, to walk in the Spirit consistently. Oh, again, you're never going to be sinless. But if there is a consistency in your life that you are moving forward instead of always just dropping back and going back to what you know, then, then this is what you need to be doing, moving forward. And even when you sin, you repent and you keep on moving forward. And even when you mess up and you repent and you keep on moving forward. Because again, it's a consistency of moving forward even when you drop back a little bit. But there's something about moving forward. And so our heart should be to do the will of God continuously. It doesn't mean because we fail or we, we seem like we can't, it doesn't mean that we give ourselves over to the things that are in verse, uh, verse 3. We, we, we don't give ourselves to what's on that list, thinking about it or doing it. We've already spent way too much time thinking about that list 
for doing that list in our lives. And really quick, just to go through that list, lewdness is debauchery or perversions. Lust is forbidden desires. Drunkenness is excess of wine. Revelries is just letting loose. The word there's a word in there orgies, which today you would be calling up. You know, you know, people are hooking up <laughs> with anybody and everybody. Drinking parties is carousing, and it goes along with revelries, all-nighters type stuff. And abominable idolatries is basically the worship of unlawful things. Anything that is unlawful, you want to do. And you party in it, and you're excited about it. That's your life. (laughs) You know, I was thinking even this, this morning as I shared, it's like, you know, a lot of those things, man, it's like, man, our flesh is like, yeah, party! Woohoo! Yeah? And you can't even in church, like, raise your hand. But you have no problem going, yeah, party! <laughs> it's like, as hard as you went to this, it's like, I just can't get myself to raise my hands to God. I just can't. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> we could go so hard the other way. And yet we can't go hard for God like that. <laughs> the Bible tells us that we are to redeem the time. To make every effort to think on what is good and do good. To put on the mind of Christ. That is what we are to strive for. That should be our desire as Christians. Because this world has already taken way more than it deserves. We've given it too much. And so verses 4 through 6. In regarding all these things... (laughs) They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. But they will give an account, it says. In regards to to this, to the changes that have happened in people's lives, (laughs) people, they kind of trip out. It's like, I don't understand. Why are you not doing what you used to do? Your old friends, man, kind of look at you. It's like, dude, what happened to you? It's like, well, I'm trying to serve God. No, man, why would you go do that? Ah, you know, it's almost like they can't comprehend you wanting to do good anymore. To them, it's like, no, let's just continue partying, bro. Right on. It's like, yeah, that's not my life no more. And they think it's strange of you. They didn't think you were strange before. (laughs) You were like... They didn't think strange of you then, but now they just can't make sense of it. First, First Peter 4 in the Amplified says, They are astonished and think, and, they, and think it very queer that you do not run hand in hand with them in the same excesses of dissipation, and they abuse you. The New Living Translation puts it this way, Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. You know, that, that, that was the battle when I first got saved, even between me and my dad. 
And I was 20 years old, and he's like, why aren't you going out with your friends anymore? And it's like, because I was going to church all the time. Why don't, why don't you go with your friends anymore? It's like, Dad, because I don't want to come home drunk anymore. And to, to him, I had become less of a man because I wasn't drinking anymore. He could not comprehend that. <laughs> you know, it's like, I didn't want to go get high anymore, Dad. I'm done chasing girls. I want to follow God. I still chased my wife, but just like, <laughs> just to throw that out there. But... <laughs> didn't sound good as soon as I said it. But anyway, <laughs> but you know what I mean. No more carousing in that way. But, but he had such a hard time because I was, I was wanting to do the God thing and I wanted to go to church. And he tells, I'd come home, he goes, they're going to brainwash you. I said, you know what? This brain needs a lot of washing because it was filthy. And without Jesus, it still is. And so, man, oh man, that battle, even between me and my dad, my friends, you know, it's like, you know, I'm so excited because I have Jesus, and I show up to where they're hanging out, and it's like, guys, man, let me tell you what's been going on in my life. It's like, dude, where's the six-pack? It's like, ah, oh, geez, I don't, I don't have that. But, man, let me share what I've been learning. It's like, you ain't, you ain't got no weed? It's like, no. And it's like, and this was so sad because these were guys that I grew up with as little kids. And it's like... Oh. My, why do we want you around anymore? And it's like, man, that was sad. But you know what? It's okay. It was okay. It was okay to lose all my friends. Guess what? I made more friends. <laughs> a different type of friend. I was a friend with the friendless because they didn't have no friends with people at church because they lost all their friends. <laughs> and that's, that's all of you. That's all of you. Many of you guys, it's like, did, did you guys lose some of your friends when you started getting all crazy on Jesus? It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's like, good. Look at all you guys are friendless in that sense. So make friends with one another. Because, again, it's like they think it's strange that you're not doing what they used to do anymore. So there's a bunch of oddballs here. They think of you guys as oddballs. It's like, I can't put my finger on it. Why are they like... You know, it, it tells us that darkness cannot comprehend the light. Because they're still in darkness. The Bible tells us that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit. It is foolishness to them. They don't quite comprehend why you get up early on Sundays. They can't comprehend if you go through to a midweek study. It's like, you go to church twice? What the heck? (laughs) It's like, why would you? They can't comprehend that. And they think that you're strange. That you're the oddball. Because you do or don't do what you used to do. Because it goes in direct contrast to what this world tells people to do. And they speak evil of you and abuse you. Maybe not to your face, but people are talking when all of a sudden you're not doing what you used to do. It's okay. It's been 30-some years. I'm okay. They thought it was a fad. Eh, Go hang in there. but they will give an account. Unsafe family, relatives and friends, again, they might, they might oppose you, they might come against you, pray for them. They, they just don't quite comprehend. But you're not going to stand before them in the judgment. You're going to stand before God. Okay? 
We might sacrifice our friends, our comforts. We might be persecuted and or suffer to do the will of God, but God is the one that rewards us. He is the one that will honor us. That's not why we do it, to get the rewards. It's to give Him glory because it will always turn out for our good. Amen? Amen. You are not to fear what man can do to you. Fear God. <laughs> fear God. While we are in, this, in these human bodies, in this flesh, the people of this world, their ever-changing judgment and or standards will change. But one day we shall be with the Lord in the Spirit <laughs> and we will receive a true and final judgment. And that's who we have to do with Him, not anybody else. Amen? Amen. Let's stand as we close in prayer. <clears throat> Father, as we come before you, Lord, and thank you so much for your word. Father, again, the truths that we kind of learn from from what your word is sharing with us, even about the things that we've had to go through, Lord, but especially the fact that you want us to understand why suffering is so important, Lord, in our lives and why we have to go through things like this in our lives, Lord. Father, I, I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters this morning, Lord God. I know that many of them are battling day in and day out. All of us are. Some are having victory and some are not, Lord. And I just pray that, God, you would just help my brothers and sisters, Lord, to desire to do your will, Father. That even as they're battling back and forth, Lord God, and they feel like they're struggling and they feel like they're failing, and yet they're always in communication with you, Lord. Remind them that they are way, more, they were, they are way closer than they think, Lord God, because they're in constant communication with you. And you continue to convict them. And I thank you for that, Lord God. But I know the pain that they go through, Lord. Oftentimes we just get sick and tired of sinning, of messing up, Lord. And oftentimes we disqualify ourselves, Lord, and yet all we have to do is run to you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would help them, Lord, as they deal with this battle day in and day out. Help them to crucify the flesh. Help them to always come to you, Lord God. I pray for them that you would lift them up and encourage them, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the victory that you have already given us because you died on the cross, Lord. You, 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 you stayed on the cross to deliver us from all these things, and I thank you for that. You've given us the victory, Lord. Help us to walk in victory. I do want to pray, God, that if there's somebody here who does not know you, and they know that, Lord, they've, they've been coming up empty all the time, Lord. When they've suffered, they don't know who else to turn to. I pray that today, Lord, this morning, they would turn to you. That they would receive you, Lord God. And Father, even though it's, it means putting to death their flesh and losing their friends, that they would be okay with it. And so I pray, God, that you would capture their hearts. But be with my brothers and sisters. Strengthen them as they struggle, Lord. Cause them to turn to you, Lord God, every time they're suffering and they're hurting. When people are coming against them, Lord, please give them strength, Lord, to run to you, to press into you, Lord, and not to be ashamed. Please bless them, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.